Indeed, Father, this is your world. You own everything. You created all things through Christ and for Christ. And all things are held together in Christ. This is your world. Father, as we open your word today, I pray that it would be the Spirit would be leading my speech. The Spirit would be guiding the listening of your people. And Father, I pray that even those who are yet to believe, today would be the day of salvation. I pray for the the power of your Spirit to move and the, the gospel to be understood. Father, I pray that your people would know Christ more and know how to live as Christians. Those who follow our King, our Savior, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Good morning, Grace Fellowship Church and guests. There is something that I've I've learned about myself, and I suppose I continue to learn about myself, that I have also noticed throughout my pastorate uh, concerning other people. In this past week or so, a couple of weeks, I've had opportunity to have conversations with some of you about this, and I just thought it would be something that would be useful for all of us to to consider. Uh, I can tend to be puffed up by compliments, and I also don't enjoy being corrected. Something I've noticed about myself, I've learned about myself, that, that compliments can, can puff me up at times, and, and I don't like being corrected. This past couple of weeks, I've had a number of discussions with some of you uh, to consider this in your own lives. Because what I, I sometimes see is that that people are, not just myself, other people are, are awfully concerned about what people think of them. It really drives a lot of their behaviors and emotions is what people think of them. Uh, they, people as I've come to see about myself and others, they tend to be puffed up by compliments and often looking for those compliments, caring much about what people think about them. I've also watched people be overly, what I would call overly depressed or upset by correction or rejection of people. And, and, it's, it's as if, though, we go around asking for it. We ask people for compliments, and we ask people for correction, and, and, and we're looking for the appraisal or the, uh, the approval or the disapproval of men. And, and it's not even, it doesn't have to be huge stuff. It could be small stuff, like, how do you like my souffle? People, people will give us input. 
Even godly people will give us input. They will, they will, they will praise us. In Proverbs 27, 2, it says, Let another praise you, and not your own mouth, a stranger, not your own lips. So don't praise yourself. And it doesn't say let another praise you after you go and ask them what they thought of something you said or did. Let me ask them what they thought of what I said or did so, so they, could, they could praise me, which I would like. Or they could reproof me, and I wouldn't like that very well. But I watch, I watch human beings go around looking for this approval or disapproval often. Galatians 1.10, For I'm now, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. People, look, I'm not saying you should not praise another person. I'm not saying you should not reproof another person. It's okay. It's what, what we do as Christians and as, as couples and as families. But I ought not be looking for the praise or the, or the correction because praise can puff me up. I remember when I used to speak at cross trainers a long time ago. A couple, three years after I was a Christian, I spoke in front of a men's group on, on an every other Wednesday basis. And I remember just wanting, wanting somebody to come and tell me how, how much it ministered to them what I had just preached or taught. Part of it was, was right thinking. I really wanted the Word of God to change people's lives. But what I wanted was I, I wanted to be praised. I wanted to be complimented. And then, then there were times when people would come up to me after a Wednesday morning and they would, they would correct me and I didn't like it very well. And I found myself going towards people to try to get praised or corrected, one that would puff me up and the other that would upset me. Neither one of those things ought I be. I ought not be defensive and I ought not be puffed up, so why go ask? Let people come and praise you or let people come and reproof you. We ought not be looking for that so much. And, and I think it happens lots in the church and it happens in families where wives and husbands are looking for the praise of their spouse. I'm not saying you shouldn't praise your spouse. I'm saying you ought not be looking for the praise of your spouse. And then you're devastated if your spouse corrects you. Look, all we do, we do the glory of God, and, 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 and that's who we serve. So, so if it's just making a souffle, just, just make the souffle. They'll tell you if it's good or not. But if you're doing it for the praise of men... And then you're upset if they don't praise you for it. You're looking in the wrong place for your satisfaction. You're looking to please the wrong person. And again, this has come right in front of me at three or four times with people in this room these last couple of weeks where I've, I've, I've encouraged you to consider how much you're concerned about what people think of you. How much you're looking for compliments to keep you going. How much you're, you dislike when people correct you.
I would just stop soliciting praise and correction. Just serve the Lord and those things will come. And when you be praised, give all glory to God. You'll even find in your heart when you're actually giving glory to God for whatever you're being praised for, you'll actually experience, yeah, that praise to God. Not even let it stop with you. And when you're reproofed, be ready to change. Consider what the reproof is. And live to the glory of God. Don't live for the praise or the rejection of men. Okay, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Today we'll be in verses 52 through 56 of Luke 9. Last week we we looked at verse 51, where we saw Jesus, when the days drew near for Him to be taken up, when, when the days drew near for Jesus to ascend back to glory, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He, he had a face like flint. He was hard-headed. He was single-minded. He was focused on Jerusalem because before glory was going to come Passion Week and suffering. And he was, and he was resolute and resolved because of the the suffering of Calvary it had to come before his return to glory challenging us to consider if if we have our faces set like flint on eternity on glory and ready for the suffering that might come on the way to glory knowing that it will come and yet looking forward to glory this week uh, in verses 52 through 56 we will be looking at the misdirected zeal of the sons of thunder. So please stand and I will read verses 52 through 56. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. You may be seated. Remember last week we talked a little bit about after two and a half years of ministry, in the last 18 months or so ministry in Galilee, Jesus has now switched his focus from from his coming to his going. The next six months or so, which is what we'll see in the rest of Luke, is the next six months or so where where he primarily goes from public proclamation to training of the disciples. Much more about training them as he he makes his way to Calvary. Now, from Galilee, remember Galilee is in the northern part of what we call Israel, and then Samaria is in the center part, and then in the southern part was Judea or Judah. And a trip from Galilee to Jerusalem would have taken two or three days. And yet, going to spend about six months, because it's not a direct path. But, but his mind is set on Jerusalem. And, and now he's going to do some more traveling, and again, mainly training his disciples. So, as, as this Exodus journey 
begins, we see Jesus has messengers sent to Samaria, Samaria to organize. The reason I put the word organize is just a little tip of the cap to those in Kenya who organize everything. If you're going to make arrangements or something, Okongo will tell me, let me go organize for you. So it means to make arrangements or preparations. He sends these messengers ahead of him to, to make preparations to organize for them to go there. He sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. A village of the Samaritans. Who were the Samaritans? Remember, Samaria was in between Galilee and Judea, or Judah. It was the center part of what we call Israel. It was, it was again, the most direct route from Galilee to Jerusalem, or Judea would have been through Samaria. Many Jews wouldn't go that way. And there was a reason. So, so why is it that the Samaritans was something that, or Samaria was something that Jews would really avoid mostly. Well, the city of Samaria, we, we first hear about the city of Samaria in, in 1 Kings 16 when King Omri purges it and makes it the capital of the kingdom of Israel. Now remember, we've got a split kingdom at that time. You have Judah or Judea, and then you have the 12 tribes in the northern part of Israel, and there's a split kingdom. And in the northern part, King Omri, uh, 1 Kings 16, 23, in the 31st year of Asa, king of Judah, Omri began to reign over Israel. He had a battle with Zimri, and uh, who had replaced Jeroboam's son. So now Omri is king. He reigned for 12 years. Six years he reigned in Tizrah. Tirzah. He bought the hill of Samaria from Shemar for two talents of silver. And he fortified the hill and called the name of the city that he built Samaria after the name of Shemer, the owner of the hill. So, so Omri in Israel now, remember, not, not the southern two tribes, but not Jerusalem, but in Israel, he bought Samaria and he made that the capital city of Israel. So Samaria was the capital city of Israel made by Omri. Not of Judah, but of Israel. Now, if you go to 2 Kings... We're going to see what happened to Samaria or Israel. In, in about 721 or so, some 160 years later, we see this. 2 Kings 17. In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hosea, the son of Elah, began to reign in Samaria over Israel. And he reigned nine years. Against him came up Shalman. Shalmaneser, king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria came against Hosea, who was now the king of Israel, stationed in Samaria. And Hosea became his vassal and paid him tribute. So Hosea kind of gave in to the, to the king of Assyria and started to pay tribute. Verse 4, But the king of Assyria found treachery in Hosea. For he had sent messengers to So, king of Egypt, and offered no tribute to the king of Assyria. So Hosea was now trying to buddy up with the king of Egypt. And that made the king of Assyria angry. And he didn't keep paying tribute. He started paying tribute to the king of Egypt. Therefore, the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. Then the king of Assyria invaded all the land and came to Samaria, and for three years he besieged it. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria. 
And he carried the Israelites away. Okay, so so Hosea has upset the king of Assyria because he started to buddy up with Egypt. And so the king of Assyria comes in and they take over Samaria. They take over Israel, the capital of Samaria and Israel. And they take all of those people, the 12 tribes, and they exile them. They deport them. He carried Israelites away to Assyria and placed them in Hala and on the Habor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes. So the Assyrians capture Samaria because the, because the Israelites under King, uh, uh, under, under King Hosea are buddying up with Egypt. The Assyrians take over Israel, the northern part, again, not Judah. And they, they exile the people, the Israelites, out of Israel. Then down in verse 24 of King, 2 Kings 17. And the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Severaphim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. So now the people of Israel, out of Israel, they've been exiled, and the king of Assyria brings in all these other people groups into this land of Israel. All these other people groups come in. And they took possession of Samaria and lived in its cities. And at the beginning of their dwelling there, they did not fear the Lord. So these new people come into Israel and they don't fear God. They don't fear Yahweh. They have their own gods. Uh, Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them. So Yahweh sends lions which killed some of them. So they're not worshiping Yahweh. These new folks that have come from all over to live in Israel. And God then sends in lions to kill some of them. To get their attention. So the king of Assyria was told, The nations that you have carried away and placed in the city of Samaria, in Israel now, do not know the law of God, the law of the God of the land. Therefore he has sent lions among them, and behold, they are killing them, because they do not know the law of the God of the land. The king of Assyria is told, listen, there's lions killing all these people you sent there because they're not worshiping Yahweh. So God's killing these these idolaters, these God-haters with lions. And the king of Assyria wanted it stopped. So then, verse 27, the king of Assyria commanded, send there one of the priests whom you carried away from there and let him go and dwell there and teach them the law of the God of the land. So one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and lived in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. Okay? So all the Israelites are pushed out. All these foreign uh, foreign people are brought in. They're not worshiping Yahweh. They're worshiping their own gods. God sends in lions to kill them to get their attention. The king of Assyria says, okay, we've got to fix this problem. So he brings a priest back that had been sent away, a priest from Judaism, back into this land of Samaria, what used to be Israel. So he comes back and he, he teaches them Judaism or teaches them how to, how to worship Yahweh. Verse 29, But every nation still made gods of its own and put them in the shrines of the high places that the Samaritans had made. Every nation in the cities in which they lived. So these Samaritans, these Israelites who had left, had built these shrines. They came in and they still served their own gods using the, the things that had been built by the Samaritans. The men of Babylon made Succoth Benath, 
The men of Cuth made Nergal. The men of Hamath made Ashima. They're all making their own gods. And the Avites made Nibhaz and Tartak. And the Sephirites burned their children in the fire of Adrimelech and Animelech, the gods of Sepharvarim. They also feared the Lord. They also feared Yahweh. Because the priesthood came and told them, so they also feared Yahweh and appointed from themselves all sorts of people as priests of the high places who sacrificed to them in the shrines of the high places. So they started to worship God along with their gods in ways God didn't want to be worshipped. So they're kind of syncretizing Judaism, if you will, the worship of Yahweh with their own worship. And they're, they're making this amalgamated kind of religion that loosely follows Yahweh or partially. Verse 33, so they feared the Lord. So they feared Yahweh. This priest taught them to fear Yahweh. But also served their own gods after the manner of the nations from among whom they'd been carried away. So they had this mixture again of Judaism and their God worship. They were, they were half-breeds. They were half-breeds in their religion. They were mixing Judaism. They were missing, mixing the worship of Yahweh along with their own religion, their own worship practices. And down in verse 41, So these nations feared the Lord and also served their carved images. Their children did likewise, and their children's children, as their fathers did, so they do to this day. So, these, these, the Samaritans... Were, were originally the ten tribes with a mixture of others. They were carried away into captivity. The king of Assyria sent all these people from all over, Cuth and Ava and Hamath and Seraphim. They, 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 they worshipped their idols. Lions came, killed them to get their attention. King of Assyria says, let's bring a priest in to teach them how to worship Yahweh. They called him a small G God, but bring him in. They mixed together these two religions. And to the day, to this day, in Samaria, to the day we are in the scriptures here, when Jesus is traveling the earth, in Samaria you still have this, these half-breeds, these religious half-breeds. Physiological, physiologically, or they're, they're all amalgamated, but also in the way they do worship. They're worshiping, they're calling themselves... God worshipers, Yahweh worshipers. It's kind of like people that call themselves Christians, like a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness or a or a staunch Arminian. Like they call themselves worshipers of God, but they're they're worshiping a different God than the God of the Bible. Well, that's what was happening in Samaria. That's what it was to be a Samaritan. They 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 were instructed by the priest, remember? So they were kind of like the, the, uh, the Sadducees. They, they accepted the first five books. They accepted the Pentateuch, the, the words of Moses. They were instructed from that. But they kept their old rituals and, and put them together to create this, this false religion. But, but part of it was Judaism. So they, 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 they argued for a connection. They... We'll look at it some more, but they're, they're looking for a Messiah. They were looking for the Messiah also to come. 
So they, they became worshipers of Jehovah, of Yahweh. Again, they were not worshiping. They were, they were combining, but they called themselves worshipers. So in the meantime, then, later on, the, the people of Judah, Judea gets overthrown. And their people are exiled to Babylon. And when they're exiled to Babylon, and when they return, what are they returning they're going to do? They're going to rebuild the temple. So now down here in Judah, they get exiled. They come back, and they're going to rebuild the temple. And when they're rebuilding the temple under Ezra, these, these half-breeds, these Samaritans, want to come and help build. Now, they were told no. Because, because Ezra says, look, you're just coming because you want some of the blessings we're going to get. You're not coming because you actually worship Yahweh. You've got this religion that's different. You, we're not going to allow you to help. And that made the Samaritans angry. They went back to Samaria and they built their own temple at the Mount Gerizim. So they had their own temple in Mount Gerizim. And they went back and were worshiping and were waiting for the, uh, a promised prophet like Moses themselves. So they have Mount Gerizim where they worship because they weren't allowed to participate in the rebuilding of the temple and to worship at Jerusalem. So they became a kind of a schismatic sect of Judaism. So there was great animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews hated the Samaritans because they were they were half-breeds, both, both physically inbreeding, but, but more than that, their religion was a, was a half-Jewish religion. But they claimed to be Jewish. And so, and so the Jews, the pure Jews, they, they disliked the Samaritans. They thought of them as, as dogs. And, and the Samaritans, by the same token then, disliked the Jews. The... the the, the, the upset of when the Jews came back from Babylon and rebuilt the temple and they did not allow the Samaritans to help them even though the Samaritans wanted to help them this caused bitter animosity when, so then when Nehemiah was rebuilding the walls what the Samaritans were doing was trying to thwart every effort they became antagonistic to the efforts because they had been rejected and now they had their own temple at Mount Gerizim So they, 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 the Samaritans came to say, look, Mount Gerizim is where Moses was. This is the temple. This is the place where the temple should have been erected according to Moses. And this is the true temple. And this is true worship of Yahweh. And this is where the Messiah will return. Another thing that happened was when, when people would be lawbreakers in Judah, Judea, and they wanted asylum, they would go to Samaria, and the Samaritans would give them asylum. The Samaritans would bring all the, all the Jews who were, who were acting up or, or, or sinning or, or breaking the laws, they would go to Samaria, and they would, they would give them asylum there. Again, remember that they did believe in the first five books of Moses. They had put together the religions, and they had their own worship of Yahweh, and they, too, were looking for a Messiah, and this is why we see in the book of John, we see throughout Scripture that the Jews thought of them as 
the worst of the human race. They despised the Samaritans. So again, when they would go from Galilee, when a Jew would go from Galilee to Jerusalem to worship on the holy days, for instance, they would travel around the borders of Samaria. They would not go through. So now, Jesus has his face on Jerusalem. He says, listen, go to Samaria, go to a Samaritan village, go there and tell them to organize. Tell them to get ready to host me and my traveling party. So, he sends these messengers into Samaria. On, on, on their way to Jerusalem, obviously, they were rejected. When Jews would travel through Samaria, too, by the way, they would often be killed. Now, they didn't kill them. They just didn't receive them. They didn't receive Jesus and his traveling party. So, as we might expect, the Samaritans reject Jesus. He sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans and made, to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. Why? Because they too were awaiting the Messiah. So the messengers come forward and say, Look, we've got this traveling party, and in this traveling party is the Messiah. Great! He's coming here to Samaria. He's coming here to Mount Gerizim. No, no, he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's not stopping here. He's just passing through and just wants a place to stay. You'll give him some hospitality, and then he'll go on to the true temple in Jerusalem. Do you think they would like that? No. No, they think the Messiah is coming to Mount Gerizim. So, they wouldn't receive the Messiah. Because he was going to Jerusalem, not to Mount Gerizim. Remember back in John four, nineteen, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive this is with the Samaritan woman at the well. When Jesus was with the Samaritan woman at the well, told her she had five men that weren't ever her husband, and the one she was with now wasn't. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So, so these messengers go to this place that's arguing for Mount Gerizim as the right place to worship. By the way, the temple they had built had been destroyed about 100 years earlier. They don't even have a temple anymore. they got some kind of a, a lean-to they've put up. But the temple itself at Mount Gerizim had been destroyed. But they still believe that's the place that the Messiah would return to. So, they, these messengers come. Again, messengers, uh, the word there for same word for angels, and they tell these people in this village in Samaria, the Messiah is coming. This guy you've heard about up in Galilee that says he's God, that's doing all these miracles, he's he's coming. God's the the one who's going to deliver Israel, deliver Judah from bondage who's going to deliver them and make them a great nation he's coming through give them a place to stay and they say no no only if he's coming here because this is where the messiah is going to come he's they're expecting deliverance the samaritans are expecting deliverance from the messiah as well but they worship a different god so Jesus, by having his face set towards Jerusalem, is repudiating Mount Gerizim. 
and the Samaritans don't like it. So they don't receive him. I mean, if he was the Messiah and wanted to stay in Samaria, great. So, so these these kind of kind of religious, sort of Yahweh worshippers, they reject Jesus, and they will not show hospitality to him, and they will not receive him as the Messiah because he's going on to Jerusalem, and they don't like that. So James and John are fired up. Intentional play on words. They are hot. They're scorching hot. Verse 54, And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Remember, James and John were, were the ones that Jesus had given a name to. Mark 3.17, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder. Remember, these are kind of hot-headed guys anyway. They've got a little bit of anger control issues. And they, and they, they wanted to bring fire. They wanted to rain lightning. These sons of thunder wanted to bring fire down on these half-breed fakes, fake Jews. Now, it is somewhat understandable, isn't it? Here you are traveling with the Son of God. You're, you've seen all these miracles, and while you still don't completely understand, you actually think you're going to Jerusalem where Jesus is going to rule and reign and make, make Judah great again. You're actually traveling with this guy, and they say, no, we're going to reject him. We will not receive him as this Messiah. Well, in some respects, it's almost like they're, they're, they're righteously angry. They should receive Jesus, should they not? Of course they should. And when they're told, they said, no, we will not receive him, and James and John, to some extent, I can, see, I can see why they're upset by that. It's upsetting when someone rejects Jesus. But, but remember also, they've been traveling with Jesus for a while now, and they've seen him in his ministry. They've heard his words and they've watched his action. How much destruction has Jesus brought upon people in his ministry in Galilee? None. He's done nothing but heal, cast out demons, preach, and bless. There's been no judgment. There's been no, there's been no fire raining down. And also, they don't even have that kind of power. They say, now, that shows great belief in who Jesus is. They say, hey, you want, us to, you want us to call fire down and consume these people that are rejecting you? Now, probably, the probable reason they're, they're thinking this way was because, because they, were standing, they were standing in a place that Elijah had been, and they had just seen Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. So fresh in their minds was Elijah, who they had seen on the Mount of Transfiguration. And they're in a place where Elijah had actually done some ministry hundreds of years earlier. 2 Kings 1. After the death of Ahab, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria and lay sick. 
So he sent messengers telling them, Go, inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. Go, and, 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 and Ahaziah, who was, who was now messing with other gods like the Moabites, he said, listen, I'm falling through the lattice. I'm walking on the roof. I fall through. I'm not doing well. Go and check with this Lord of the Flies, is what Baalzebub means. Go check with this God of Ekron. Go check with this other God to see if I'm going to be okay or not. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messenger of the king of Samaria and say to them, So the king of Samaria is going to send these messengers to go find out from Ekron, this small g God, if he's going to be okay, inquiring of him. You go intercept them and you give them this message. It is because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Baalzebub, the God of Ekron? It's a sarcastic question. There's no God in Israel? So you're going to go after other gods? Why are you rejecting Yahweh, not seeking Him, but you're seeking pagan god Ekron? You're, you're forsaking Yahweh to consult false gods. Now therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. This was the message Elijah was said to take to these, these messengers. These messengers that Ahaziah, take this back to him. The messengers returned to the king, and he said to them, Why have you returned? And they said to him, There came a man to meet us and said to us, Go back to the king who sent you and say to him, Thus says the Lord, It is because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire Baalzebub, the God of Ekron. Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. He gives these messengers, say, This is why we didn't go talk to the Lord of the Flies. This is why we didn't go talk to these false gods, because we were stopped by Elijah, and Elijah said, no, there's a God here, and because you're, because you're going after other gods, you're not going to get out of that bed. He, Ahaziah, said to them, what kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? They answered, he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist, and he said, it is Elijah, the Tishbite. Then the king sent to him a captain of 50 men. So, Captain Ahaz, King Ahaziah is upset. He wanted to know if he's going to be okay. He went to consult with pagan gods to find out if he was going to be okay. He's intercepted by God's prophet, Elijah, who says, because you're trying to go after other prophets, other gods, you're not going to get out of bed. You're going to perish. Then the king sent to him a captain of 50 men with his 50. He went up to Elijah, who was sitting. Let's see here. Yeah, uh, he went up to Elijah, who was sitting on top of a hill, and said to him, "Now, where Elijah was was on top of the hill in Samaria, Mount Gerizim." O man of God, the king says, "Come down." So these fifty men sent by King Ahaziah say, "Hey, come down, Elijah." But Elijah answered the captain of 50, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Again, the king sent to him another captain of 50, men with 50. And he answered and said to him, O man of God, this is the king's order. Come down quickly. 
So another group of 50 goes to Elijah and says, you come down and talk to the king, giving him this bad report. Elijah answered it. Since I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. So on this very same plot of land, Elijah had brought down fire from heaven and consumed a hundred men. And now, and James and John had just seen Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. They know where they are. You've got these people rejecting Yahweh, rejecting the Messiah. Let's burn them. Let's call fire down upon them. They wanted to consume them. They wanted these these half-breed, fake Yahweh worshipers destroyed. Same thing that we see. Verse 54, And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? 2 Thessalonians 2.8 And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with his breast of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. James and John wanted to call down fire from heaven to consume these no good half-breed Samaritans that were worshiping Yahweh falsely and would not reject, would not accept Jesus Christ. Now remember, Jesus had told them earlier in Luke In Luke 9, 4. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Remember, we looked at that. What James and John should have remembered is, hey, they don't receive us. We shake the dust off of our feet, basically saying, God will judge you, and you move on. Well, they wanted to do a little more. They don't want to shake the dust off their feet and leave it to God. They wanted to consume them with fire right now. Destroy them. Should we destroy them? They, 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 are, they are rejecting the true Messiah. They are worshiping a false Yahweh and talking as if they're worshiping Yahweh. Again, this is just like a Mormon. Or Jehovah's Witness. Or in a sense, even Muslims, they believe Jesus is a prophet. But that's, that's not the right God. They're rejecting Jesus, and that's exactly what these people are doing. And so these people in Samaria say, no, we will not receive Jesus and his traveling party. We will not receive your so-called Messiah because he's going to Jerusalem, and we want him here in Mount Gerizim. And James and John said, Jesus, shall we burn him? But he turned and rebuked them. He turned. Strepho, it's a dramatic act. He turned with force and rebuked them. He denounced them. He expressed strong disapproval of what they had just said. Jesus turned and he let them have it. He denounced their vengeful desires. Because you see, as by example, as by word, Jesus was on a different mission, wasn't he? 
Was he on a mission of judgment and wrath or a mission of mercy? He's on a mission of mercy. And what John and James want is wrath. In the New King James and the King James and many versions, even in the LSB, parenthetically, many manuscripts contain more words. Now, they probably weren't in the original. That's why it's not in your ESV. But they, they were added by a scribe later. But, but, but they're accurate words. It's accurate thinking. The reason that Jesus is rebuking them, in, in many versions it says this, and when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, just as Elijah did? Okay, do you want us to have fire come down just as Elijah did? Verse 55, but he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. James and John wanted to destroy those people. On the spot, wanted the wrath of God to come down and snuff out their life. That's not what I'm here for. Jesus is telling them. That's not the mission we're on. Now make no mistake, Jesus will return to judge. But that's not what he came to do. Jesus did not come to destroy. He came to have mercy on men and save them from the wrath of God. The very thing that James and John were wanting to bring down upon them. James and John, were they there? Were they there at the Sermon on the Mount? Didn't they listen? Luke 6, 27, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. The Samaritans hated them. They rejected Jesus. They despised them. Well, they're to love them. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, not withhold your tunic. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. James and John did not want to love these dirty Samaritans, these Messiah rejectors. They wanted them destroyed. Wrong heart. Not the mind of Christ. Just a little while before this, Luke nine forty six, an argument arose among them as to which of them was greatest. Jesus, knowing the reason of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives me, him who has sent me. For he is least among you as all is the one who is great. John immediately answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. We tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. He's not with us. These Samaritans aren't with us. This guy that's casting out demons. But Jesus said, do not stop him. For the one who is not against you is for you. These Samaritans didn't kill them. These Samaritans didn't try to stop them. They simply said, we're not going to receive him. James and John? Wrong mission. Militant Christian? Wrong mission. We're on a mission of mercy. We're not on a mission of judgment. 
John 18, 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over the Jews. My kingdom is not of this world. You guys have your mind on the wrong kingdom. My slaves don't fight. All of the the Spanish Inquisition, all of the all of the death that's come in the name of Christianity is false, fake, and the wrong heart. Converter will kill you. That's what Muslims do. It's not what Christians do. See, we have a takeaway. We too, beloved, are on a mission of mercy, not judgment. We'll all nod our heads, but I want us to think about that. We are not here to exact vengeance. We are not to hate those who hate us and want them dead. We are not not to want dead those who reject the true, triune, only God. Romans 12, 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Does that fit with James and John's sentiment? Beloved, listen. Live peaceably with all. Don't call down fire. No imprecatory prayers. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I'll repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. These Samaritans rejecting Jesus, that was evil, yes? It was. Didn't show hospitality to God Himself. But don't don't return evil for evil. Don't exact your own vengeance. First Thessalonians five, fifteen, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. No repaying evil for evil. Always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. We are not to exact vengeance. Get revenge. Defend ourselves against those who hate Christ and reject Christ. Second Peter three nine, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now, we know this doesn't mean that God wishes all would be saved. It does mean, however, all of His elect would be saved. And we don't know the difference. This does not mean God wishes everyone to be saved. It does mean that God wishes for all of the elect to be saved and is not willing that they perish until then. So if somebody had shot me the first time I rejected Jesus before September 11th of 01, how would I be saved? 
How would it happen that, that these rejectors of Christ would come to know Christ if it's our desire to have them be dead? We don't know who the elect are. As far as we know, who can be saved? Anyone. So who should we want dead before they became saved? No one. Even current God-haters and Jesus-rejectors, we don't, we don't, it's not the heart of Christ to want them dead. It's not a mission of judgment, it's a mission of mercy, and that's the mission that we're on. John 3.17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that he might, the world might be saved through Him. Mercy, not judgment. All types of people saved. John 12.46-47, I have not, I've come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Christ is returning to judge, yes? He hasn't returned. He came to save the world. The mission was a mission of mercy. The gospel of Jesus Christ to reconcile with the Father in heaven. That's our mission. We want everyone to stay alive until they be saved. As far as we're concerned, how, how do you go to war and shoot somebody from another country who might not be yet saved? Jesus came to save all types of people. We don't know who they are, so we will have mercy, not vengeance. Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's why He came. This is why we go. We go and make disciples because Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That's the mission we're on. Not to seek and destroy. Micah 7.18, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of His inheritance? He does not retain His anger forever because He delights in steadfast love. God is merciful. Jesus came to save. He's going to return to judge. Until He does, we will be merciful, not judgmental. We will never judge. We don't try to separate the wheats from the tares. But in the context we're talking about here, these are people that are false worshipers that will not accept Jesus because of their own religion. And James and John want them dead, and Jesus rebukes them. James 2.12, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The sons of thunder wanted to bring judgment before it was time. And Jesus rebuked them and told them their spirit was wrong. If we are people that pray imprecatory prayers against those who hate God, we are calling down God's judgment upon them before it's time. Are we not just like James and John here? They wanted to bring fire 
down upon this village in Samaria. And Jesus rebuked them. And then look what happens in Samaria after Jesus' ascension. What happens in Samaria? After the Holy Spirit empowers the mission of mercy to go into Samaria, Acts 8, 4, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowd with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. They received the gospel in the very same place James and John wanted them dead. Acts 8.25 Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. This is the heart of a missionary. This is the heart of someone who's, who's living for Christ. This is them after Christ ascends and the Spirit comes upon them and they go back out. They don't want to judge Samaria. They want to preach the gospel there. They don't hate the Samaritans because they're half-breed religionists. They want them to be saved. If, if James and John had gotten their wish, they wouldn't have been alive to hear it. So they rebuked for their vengeful, judgmental hearts, and they went on to another village. So they went elsewhere. Jesus rebuked them, and they went on to another village to take forth this message of mercy that was entrusted to them, to be, to be trained by him more. Jesus, again, is going to return to judge. Judge Vengeance will be poured out on all those who ultimately reject Jesus. That will happen. That's going to happen. That's part of what people need to understand. Part of what they need to understand is because their sin has them separated from God, and when Christ returns, it will be too late. Today is the day of salvation. Repent and put your faith and trust in Christ. Until Christ returns... We are mercenaries. We are on a a mission of mercy. We don't fight holy wars with death and destruction. We fight wars for souls with the gospel of the mercy of God to be found in and through Jesus Christ. We don't desire for Muslims or Buddhists or JWs or Mormons or staunch Armenians. We don't we don't we don't desire that they would die. We want God's mercy to be poured out on them just like God's mercy was poured out on us. Did you ever reject the gospel? the first time you heard it you believed some of you continue to reject the gospel to this day you continue to reject Jesus may God have mercy and not pour out his wrath on you put your faith in Christ while you have time it's the mercies of God that can be found in and through Jesus Christ And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. 
But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. Closing thought. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. It is true that God will pour out his vengeance and his wrath on all those who reject Jesus. It is true. But as far as we're concerned, we're going to bring peace. And how do we bring peace? We bring peace between people and God with mercy, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't bring peace with aggression and anger and judgment. Father, we thank you again for the clarity of your word. We thank you for the examples that you give us that we might think rightly. Father, forgive us for where we've had hard hearts towards others, where we've wished death or destruction upon anyone. Father, help us to have compassion and mercy. Help us to bring hope. Father, help us to be like Christ who came to seek and save the lost, who came not to judge but to save. Father, help us to have merciful hearts as we carry forth this gospel of salvation. This gospel, this good news of the mercies of God to be found in and through Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Stand and sing hymn 186. A debtor to mercy. 186.